This is the absurd journey of three church planners reintroducing familiar ideas in unfamiliar ways. This is the Bless Up Podcast. Everybody, welcome back. This is the Bless Up Podcast. Um, I'm Rachel here in studio with James Thomas Talbert, and we have a special guest today. And before we get to that, um, I just want to give you a formal apology because it is absolutely my fault that we have not been recording lately. Um, and you know what? Corey's not here, so I'm going to throw him under the bus. It's him as well. Um, our our schedules have been a little crazy, so listen, don't yeah, don't blame James. It's not his fault. This is totally on me and Corey that there has been such a gap. So I apologize. But listen, we are making it up to you today because we are bringing on the Amelia Banks. You guys have met her husband, Kendrick. He is he's part of the Tribe Collective and Kendrick and Amelia are in Texas. And Kendrick has been on this podcast. But listen, we were all in Texas together. And we got to meet Amelia, and I think Kendrick would be perfectly okay with me saying that we got to meet his better half. Um, <laughs> Amelia is amazing. I'm so excited for you guys to meet her today. Um, I'm going to let her tell you what she does because um, I'm going to be straight with you. She uses a lot of words in, in what she does that I don't understand. But I know definitively that by the end of this episode, uh, we are all going to feel deeply convicted uh, because sitting across from Amelia, sitting in her breakout session at Absurd, I walked away and was just like, oh my gosh, I feel so much better about so many things. And also, oh my gosh, I need to go to therapy. So get ready, y'all. I'm super excited for you to meet Amelia Banks. And so to kick off today, what I want to ask you guys and what, what I want to hear from everybody is what is something that in your life... If and when you start doing it, it's a sign that you're a little unhealthy, that things got to get in order. What's something that when you start doing it, you're like, oh, man, time to pull it together. Oh, uh, there's, there's a couple. There's a couple things. I mean, I could. Uh, my sneaker buying habits are not good. <laughs> like, just already. Shoe shopping. Shoe shop is not, not it. Uh 106 and Park ruined me in the early 2000s, so I feel like I need to have, like, a fresh pair of sneakers on all the time. But I know it's really bad when, and my wife calls me out on it all the time, I'll buy the same pair, essentially the same pair of sneakers in the same colorway, like, multiple times, and then I then I have to get rid of them. But that's one. Uh, when it gets really rough, I I dip my Reese cups in peanut butter. Ooh, all right. And I find myself delicious. just, but it's not good because I'll try to be a good person and get the thins, but then I'm, <laughs> I'm like dipping the thins in the peanut butter, and the thins don't really matter if you eat the whole pack. So like, <laughs> I eat the whole little tiny bag of the thins, and it it's just rough. Do you get to feel better about it because you ate the thins? I feel better about I it. Feel, but then I, people yeah. are like people are like you ate the whole bag of things and <laughs> and that's and that's not it. And then the last the last one is like if I'm watching Walker Texas Ranger and it gets to the part where like he's about to like it gets real tense before he saves the day. 
if it just gets too tense, I'll just turn off the TV. Like the, the anxiety will get like abdicating Walker, Texas Ranger. Yeah, I, like the anxiety gets to be too much, and I just I just cut off the TV. I thought it was going to be just watching Texas Ranger, but no, it was more. Than- oh, oh no, Amelia! Listen, if you have not heard the saga, I love Texas. Uh, I oh, was looking for the nice. Texas Ranger at Absurd. He asked for one when we were in Texas. I was That's like, awesome. somebody find me a, a Texas Ranger. <laughs> I want to meet a real one. It's a thing. It's a thing. Amelia, what do you do? What's your sign? Um, I clean too much, which, I mean, I'm like Michael Scott here. My worst quality is my best quality. Uh, I was going to say, what is what is cleaning too much? It's like useless cleaning, too, like re-cleaning things. So I'm a, I have a huge island, and I will spray that bad boy two, three, four, five times a day. I'm in a good space if I wiped it once and vacuumed once for the day but i just start cleaning i can't be still that's really what it is when i have to be moving it's a pretty good sign that i need to do something other than <laughs> i probably should be still for a minute uh, uh that kind of got was it when you rephrased it and i was fine with cleaning too much i was like that's not actually a problem <laughs> you're i thought you were a therapist what's wrong with cleaning too much um but then when you said have to be moving that yeah. That I didn't like how that poked. I didn't like how that poked. Yeah. For me it's like binge watching. Um cuz like I mean I I noise in the background is like a thing for me. Um so like I'll have I'll have TV running, but if I like actually am sitting and staring at the TV and watching something um and like really engaging and getting invested that I've seen a million times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know how it's going to play out. Then I'm I'm probably abdicating. I'm probably mm-hmm. abdicating something. Um, for recently for me, that that Corey was like, "Hey, what's going on?" It was Dance Moms. I started watching Dance Moms Dance again. Moms. I first off, I lived Dance Moms. <laughs> like that, that was actually my life growing up. Um, literally, one of the teachers was my teacher, and so like I literally lived Dance Moms. So I don't need to watch that show to know how it plays out. Um, and so he was just like, "What?" He's like, "Whoa, hold on, why, why, what's going on?" And like called me on it, and I was like, "What? I'm just watching Dance Moms." He's like, "No, you're not. No, you're not. What's going yeah. on?" Um, but listen, we didn't we didn't bring Amelia on just for the sake of uh, outing our bad habits or or our, or our triggers. Um, we brought Amelia on because she is an expert on the intersexuality of our mental health, our spiritual health, how things manifest, what like how we how we dive deeper into the connection between mental health, spiritual health, physical health, all of these things. And so, Amelia. Um, for those of us who hear that phrasing and hear um, what that is or, or hear that and think, what is that? Or what does that matter? Or how, yeah. What does that mean? Um, give us an overview. Help us understand. Explain explain to us what it is that you do all day long with your time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would say you're the majority if you don't know what we're talking about because it's pretty, I mean, it's been there always with different types of church leaders, but it's not been in the like western culture church for sure Mm -hmm. um i mean mental health is taboo 
I joke, it was like taboo until Michael Phelps started talking about it or something like years ago. He came out with a commercial and I was like, oh, okay, Michael Phelps needs therapy. I forgot Maybe other people that. do. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like he was the first person who kind of, and then Adam Levine had ADHD and like the ball kind of goes rolling from there. Um, and this is not the question you asked, but I mean, it kind of leads to this. We were, we're, we do too much now. We swung that pain, pendulum a little too far and like floating oh, or like gloating about our mental health issues. That's not what we're talking about. But to answer your question, my day-to-day practice is um, working as a therapist or a coach um, for people. And my job is really story work. That's what I would say. Um, I have a couple mm-hmm. of ther- like a couple clients who see me for like, I have this diagnosis, I need therapy. But most of my clients come to me and I would like to say I'm a specialist and I need therapy and I don't know why. And so that's where I want to work. Um, I think everyone needs therapy. Um, I think everything is a story and I think everything has possible. And so it's really bringing these things together. Um, And so that can play out in a number of ways, but I think um, to put it kind of concisely, Kendrick coined this phrase in our house a couple years ago, to be human is to be honest and to be humble. And so if that is what it means for the banks to be human, then we're, gradually daily doing a work to be more honest and more humble, which we would say is being aware of our limits, knowing where shame or pride would intersect with what we're trying to accomplish. It's a lot of things that can integration of our story over and over again, like really honing in on different parts of it and freeing ourselves from these storylines that we tend to buy before we believe truth. Um, and so that's a lot. I mean, that's every day <laughs> just being present with people physically, whether that's leading in church things or in my own private practice as a therapist, sitting in stories and just kind of connecting where we're trying to not be human or really trying to be our own God or feel nothing. Um, any like inability to see your own limit would be in our minds, that's simple. Like you're, you're not seeing God rightly as God. But for my non-believer clients, it's just unhealthy for them. Like, that's their perspective. Um, And so that's it. Like, it's a lot of weeding through where are you denying your humanity and how can we help you see your humanity and find more freedom in your human. And that's who Jesus died for, not this version of you that you think everybody wants. Mm. It's this really honest, broken, authentic person. It's far more valuable to the kingdom and to the people in your life, even if they're uncomfortable. Well, let's pass the offering plate. <laughs> I told you. And take communion. Goodness. Thank you, Jesus. We need to have a praise break. We need to have a praise break. So, Amelia, you tapped on this uh, a little bit. Like, I feel like you, you poked at it a bit before you got into what you do. But uh, mental health, especially, I feel like, after 2020. So we have mm-hmm. the pandemic. And I feel like... Even cats like me who would have said, Amelia, I'm an old period piece from 2006. So if you ask me and my wife, like just passed her boards and she officially became like a counselor. Okay. So she, hates, so she hates it when I say stuff like this, <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, I'm like, my counselor is my barber. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I talk to my barber when I'm getting a fade uh, and, mm-hmm. uh, Retail therapy is the way that I buying sneakers is a way, but 
I understand now that that's ridiculous. That's absolutely positively mm-hmm. ridiculous. And you're right. We all need therapy. But in working, especially with some folks uh, who are part of Gen Z, I feel like one thing that's like a characteristic and of all of us, not just Gen Z, is like in our cultural moment now it's, it's hey, like mental health has almost become like a, I don't want to say an excuse. Mm-hmm. I would say it. I would say it. Yeah, but mental health is just a, yeah, it's like, I can't do this, mm-hmm. so uh, this is mental health. Uh, yeah. Uh, anxiety, all of these things that are very real. So how would you, how would you describe where we're at as a cultural moment? And how would you describe uh, the difference between I'm having very serious, like, mental health issues or... I'm using it as an excuse. Yeah. So I want to be clear and say, as a licensed clinical mental health therapist, I do think there are diagnoses that require intensive situations. Um, I would say that that's probably a part of our church populations. At least the people who are around us that we're trying to reach with the gospel are definitely going to have those types of diagnoses. When we look at like a DSM or any kind of diagnostic manual, there's certainly legitimate <laughs> diagnoses that are in there. We know about them, like schizophrenia, bipolar, um, big name items. There's also really small ones, which most of us probably would end up with if we like sat and talked to someone. Um, the truth is those people with those bigger key traumas, those bigger diagnoses, they need therapy. They need to see like a licensed professional. They need to have psychologists. They need to have whole teams of people who are working with them. And there's absolutely credence for that. What we're tending to over-exaggerate are the other people in the world. And I run into this with other practitioners. I was in a training a couple weeks ago and I was like, well, what if they just don't have a DSM diagnosis? And they're like, they do. I was like, but what if they don't? They're like, they do. And I was like, I just don't believe that. I think some people just have a story that they're working with. And maybe we would find a diagnosis in there, but you're really just people living life, doing crazy things like watching dance moms or eating too much peanut butter. And <laughs> we just need to find our way. And you don't need a treatment plan and medicate. Like maybe you do. But I think what we're talking about here is there's something to be said about how broken we are. And we're, mm-hmm. we're we are really proud of how broken we are. Today. Mm. Um, it used to be when we were kids, you were fine. In fact, you had no feelings whatsoever. Like you could not feel you working out on your own. And so I was talking to someone the other day, and that's where this is switched, right? So when we were kids, you were quiet, you didn't do anything, your parents shamed you, and it was culturally normal for them to shame you. Like that was good parenting. Just tell them to be quiet, tell them to obey because I said so. Like those kinds of things come out when we're a kid. And so we don't get anything. We don't have space. Like maybe you had a really good parent. They cared about how you felt. But if you talk to anyone in this 30s-ish space, that is not what their experience was. So here we have today. You can be anything. You can be anything professionally. You can be anything orientation-wise. You can be anything. doesn't matter. That is like the big switch. So we didn't have anything. We couldn't claim anything. We were just like appendages to our parents. And now like we have complete autonomy. And now it's like a race to see who can tote the most brokenness and be like, this is how bad it was for me. And instead there's just 
nuances needed that makes it super complicated to really relate to people. And so what we're trying to do, I am trying to do professionally, is sit with these people like you. You've got this story, and you can see where there's some, like, okay, that seems kind of obvious. Like, Rachel, um, you noted that, like, people are seeing things. Like, you're avoiding this, or I'm watching this because it's like, there's some things that are obvious, but then there's some roots in there that go deep, deep down, and they're worth giving space to. But if you don't have a diagnosis that gets somebody's attention or you can't outdo them, no one cares. And there's no one that's just sitting in those spaces with your run-of-the-mill mom or dad or son or daughter and just hearing how it's hard to be you and giving, like, honest space and attention to those stories that can really provide freedom for someone. And I really believe more, like, fruitful gospel opportunity to just be with someone and let them experience, like, what it's like to be with a Christ follower as opposed to being, like, given a tract, given a sermon, preached at, or just completely disowned, which tends to be how we go about, like, gospel proclamation. Man, Amelia, that's incredible. And I have about 78 questions that now, <laughs> that we probably can't get to on the podcast. I was looking at him sitting here like, I think he's going to ask something, but I also think he's so deep in thought that I don't know. Yeah, if I, I, need yeah, I have like so many questions. Now, Amelia, you guys, you're a clinical mental health professional. Mm-hmm. And you and Kendrick are also in the throes of uh, church planting in the midst of that. And because I know Kendrick, I know like, yeah, deeply influenced by Soma communities and the missional movement. So the missional movement has this thrust behind it that says like, we're sent as missionaries. Uh, The Missio Dei, the father has sent me i am now sending you we are the sent ones all that good stuff so we invest our lives mm-hmm. into doing missional stuff in neighborhoods and we're doing a whole bunch of stuff mm-hmm. so in the midst of the missional movement how do you see soul care and mental health intersect with the yeah. call to go Ooh, yeah okay so this i we just i just have a summer client that i was just talking to about this so what you just said is not inaccurate, but that's the part of the movement we want people to stop catching. Mm. It's not a lot of stuff. It isn't for me. It isn't for Kendrick. It is, if we could get everyone to just believe, it is every day. It is truly mm. just living life. So an example of this is our kids go to the same elementary school as a couple other believers, whether they're a part of our church or not, we're kind of family doing life this way. Super intentional. We chose this school knowing we weren't going to be missionaries a lot. So we volunteered at our kids' race. They had a turkey trot right before Thanksgiving. And we had really beautiful conversations with people that we love. And they know us. And they know who we are. But also we had really regular conversations and deeply spiritual ones at times. And we both got in the car after and really, like, broken, aware that, like, this is what we want to do. Like, (laughs) we want to be there for our kids' race. And have tons of fun being with like PTO people, but also we did not feel burdened by the activity, nor did we feel burdened by the conversations because we were in the right spot, listening and like responding to people and just seeing fruit. Like after that, one of the people reached out to him and like wanted to get coffee and like just wants friendship. And it's obvious to us. 
that is not us. <laughs> sure, really cool, charismatic people that people might want to be friends with, but not really. It is absolutely just this ability to, one, have done the work, to be a little more present in our own physical body than the average person. And that's not, like, we're not gloating about that. We haven't done enough, but we're definitely working on that. So people can pick up on, we're less anxious, maybe, or just more present when we're healthy. And then in addition to that, like, we care. We're actually listening to you. We want to know about you. We're not just waiting for the next break in conversation to say the thing that we want to say. But, like, we want to actually hear your story. And so for me, that intersectionality is when I'm with PTO, when I'm with my friends, when I'm with my kids' friends. Like, I just want to hear your story. I want to be with you. I want to hear you. I want to know in the back of my mind, like, okay, there's something going on here. (laughs) That's why that's happening. And I may never talk about it directly to you, or maybe I will. But I have a sensitivity to knowing enough about you to know this would be good news for you. And so we would always challenge our group and say, like, if the gospel's not good news to you, it's not to someone else. And so if you don't know how it's not good, how it's good news for you, you can't share that with anyone. But if you do know, it's like watching a good movie. Like, I can't help but tell you, you need to go see it. It's so good because it's in all of my conversation because it's something I'm truly passionate about. So, Amelia, I know because um, because I sat in your breakout um, and because we've known Kendrick for a while, I know that that you guys and the way you have chosen to live out your faith and the way that you see the connectedness between mental health, spiritual health, others' awareness, moving intentionally slower, listening, like the postures that you guys take, all of these things that you've been talking about during this uh, conversation – I know that 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 is rooted in what you have seen in Scripture and what you found in the ministry of Jesus and who you see God to be in Scripture. And so um, can you paint a picture for us? Um, Where does that come from? What are the passages? What do you see in the character of God and in the person of Jesus that makes you so passionate about this? Yeah, I think maybe the clearest example for me is um, we, Kendrick and I, we use Chip Dodd's Eight Emotions um, from one of his books, Voice of the Heart, I think it is. Um, anyways, Eight Emotions. He, uh, Chip would say there's no moralistic value to emotions. We just see them, okay? So we've got in the garden um, seven of the eight. Um, I'm going to do my best. <laughs> uh, they're not in order. Anger. Um, anger meaning passion for life. Um, they're pursuing things. They're like, they have zeal to be alive. Not anger like frustration. That's typically a misunderstanding in terms of like when we're talking to people, we have to flesh that out. Um, we typically think of anger as rage. And that's yeah. not right. Anger. Um, it's rage. <laughs> it's fear. It's I need to get control. Um, and so we want to draw that distinction. But anger, um, sadness, uh, like sadness in the sense of like, not brokenness, like we know it, but sadness, like connection, attunement, like there's things to be connected to. There's reasons to potentially mourn because I'm mm-hmm. so invested in this relationship. So this high side of sadness, this healthy side of sadness. Um, oh goodness. Shame, slight shame. That's right. Sizeness. It's seeing your limits. It's some trusting God to provide for them. Um, gladness. That one's obvious <laughs> in the garden with Jesus. Loneliness. They're not experiencing loneliness, but they are to some degree because God's telling him it's not good for a man to be alone. God is a triune God. So they're experiencing some element of loneliness, which requires community. Um, so they're, they're not like 
lonely that they're feeling that um, hurt, which they're not experiencing hurt as like the actual emotion, but that higher gifting of hurt in the sense of like they have uh, courage, they have this reason to kind like to try things. Like they're they're try- they're like in community, they're pushing, they're doing these beautiful things. Again, these are the like the gifting sides of these emotions. Um, and then fear, they have wisdom, they have faith. And that's the, like, if you're about to run out of gas, you're not shaking, you're not crying, you're not fearful, but you make a wise decision for fear of running out of gas. Okay, so all this is to say, anger, hurt, loneliness, sad, fear, shame, gladness. Those things are all showing up in the garden. Then we have this the sixth sense, the fall, and that's where guilt is coming in. And they're guilty. They have done something wrong. And I'm laying that out because what we see then in Jesus is he's a man, like a real man who is experiencing hurt, anger, loneliness, sadness, fear, shame, guilt, not guilt, sorry, all these things. And then we get to the garden, and this is, to me, the prettiest picture, the garden before crucifixion. Um, And he's begging, he's begging his friends to stay awake. And then he knows what's about to happen. He has fear in his body. Like, he knows what's going to happen to him, but he's going to still do it, but he's lonely. And, like, with emotion, he's calling them, be with me. And then with emotion, he's going to pray and ask God, like, knowing what the plan was all along, he's going to say, is there another way? Mm-hmm. And, like, he's so really a person. And we miss that. Yeah. And we, like, choose to not identify with him as a person because that would make us have to identify for ourselves. And it's way easier to just make him this like, surly God that sucks people into the ground in the Old Testament. And I can't make sense of that or even kill his only son. Like, it's so Im- impersonal. But if you feel like your God's impersonal, it's because you haven't really spent time with a human. Hmm. And so, I don't know, you leave that space and be like, well, I can't, that's not really for me. I can't, I can't do that. But, like, that's all of life. Yeah. Seeing, seeing that humanity. And him, David Benner does a good job of that, where he just calls people to, like, sit in a story and, like, feel the, like, the setting, like, see the wind, see the dust, see the things, like, feel how dry it is, and then see him do miracles. See him stop and be present. See him attune to people. And, like, that ability to just sit in the New Testament, to sit in the, the Gospels and just feel his personhood. He's eating, he's drinking, he's resting, like he's doing normal human things. And I think that's why The Chosen has been so popular for people. It's because they can't do that in their own imagination. And they're like, oh, that's like he's a real person. Yeah. And I think that's the key. Like for people to actually buy, really buy into this and not just have like a get out of hell card, but really find depth of relationship with God and with his like his people, it is going to be like really buying into the humanity of all of this. So it's this idea that to embrace your own humanity, to feel, as Kendra Goy says, to feel your feelings, to yeah. experience yeah. your own humanity, to recognize your own humanity, and to see that in the person of Jesus is to start the journey of connecting your emotional health, your mental health, and your spiritual health all together. Am I understanding that right? Yeah, and so it's like, 
feel what you feel. And I mean, people get that twisted. Like you don't have to do anything crazy, but, um, if you're, if you're jealous of something, why, what are you feeling? Why is that? Why is that the feeling that you have? And then our tendency is like, why shouldn't be, I should shame myself for that. And that's not helpful. And we just keep tacking things down instead of just like having curiosity. So why do you feel what you feel? And what does that say? Um, there's like an old, old school film saying, we've kind of gotten away from it. It's like, so what are you not believing about the gospel? And I get why we did away with it, but I think it's still occasionally a good question to ask. Like, what am I not believing? Like, what am I missing here mm-hmm. about the gospel that I would think I need to clean this vacuum counter again? And not involved, like, what is it? What am I choosing willfully or not willfully to ignore about the goodness of who Jesus is and soothe myself in this moment? And if you can do that, like, one, your relationship with God's going to be amazing. Let me know how that is. And two, you have so much more empathy to sit in a space with broken people who drive you batty. But when you can see that they are broken, they're hurt, they're, they don't feel loved, they don't feel like they matter, then you can have a different perspective and like, I can hold space here. I can have some curiosity for that. Or I can do the work to understand why they're driving me body. And I can be okay in my own body, even though they're driving me crazy. Mm. Yeah, Amelia, I have, I have one more question. Well, I, again, I have like 70 more questions. But <laughs> I have one more question for today. So, uh, my mom's having some knee issues, so I've been, like, helping my mom figure out, like, her knee issues. She's going to have mm-hmm. to get a knee replacement. But mm-hmm. it's caused me to realize and appreciate the idea that culturally, like, as an African-American, like, I think one thing that we just kept from Africa was this idea of collectivism. Like, mm-hmm. we, like as a family just function like we function together. I used to think yeah. that success was found in like individualism, that it was found in like breaking away from that system and like doing my own thing. But I think the older I get, I see the beauty in collectivism. So I guess yeah. my question is how do we how do we healthfully see ourselves as a part of a collective story? Or a bigger story? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a great question. I would say that there's been quite a few pieces, books that have been written just about, like, the meta-narrative and then these smaller shadow pieces that talk about that from, like, a biblical perspective. Yeah. And then to consider, like, those one-anothers. <laughs> like, that's a, every pastor's favorite thing. Like, there's this many one-anothers. And then you just, I don't know that number. But, um... So, like, there's obviously a biblical, um, like, argument for that community piece. We just, in America particularly, we're so individualized, it's impossible for us to consider what it would mean to, like, really hold space and be present and bear one another's burdens. Um, And so for us, it's been part of why the slow has been the mantra of what we're doing, because we don't know how to do it. We have to really unlearn so many things. And one of them is just being able to be honest with what we feel. And so it's not an easy work. Um, But for me, it's finding like the courage to tell my husband what I'm actually feeling. Like I'm really hurt by you. And that's so scary to be truly vulnerable with like, what you just said hurt my feelings. Well, why did it hurt your feelings? That's what I'm expecting. 
And like, then I have to have a defense for why I hurt my feelings. And what we're learning is like the more we're capable of just cultivating a space where like, I'm allowed to be hurt and you're not required to own that. Mm. You may not have hurt me. I might just be hurt. Like you sound a lot like my dad or, Oh, that really cut deep because I'm feeling insecure about that. Or I have a ton of shame about that. Sometimes you owe me an apology, but just to own that something hurt you does not mean that one person is at fault and the other person is the victim. And so it's creating spaces where we're exploring what it feels like to be in our body. It's really not about other people. It's, and people are always like, why well, have you tell everybody how I feel? No, please don't. It's <laughs> But you should know how you feel. So I would tell people, you mentioned the, the sins, the racist sins. I would tell people, make a conscious decision. Like, eat three and then say, do you want to eat three more? Heck yeah, I do. But do it cognitively. Yeah. Do it because you want to. And then you don't feel guilt. Like, I did it. I was going to do it all along. <laughs> but instead, we numb ourselves. We wait till it's all done. And then we keep shame on ourselves, knowing good and well that was what we were going to do. And then we're we're on the shame cycle for the rest of whatever. And we're not going to get off because we can't offer ourselves grace. And we certainly can't see how God would offer us grace. We're a failure. He made this so easy for us. Why are we still failing? And so it just keeps coming back to um, this idea of one, feel your feelings. They're for you. Share them with someone. We tell people it's like a password. Only some people know my passwords. <laughs> like, I don't give them to everyone. But there are some people who need to know my passwords or I'm going to get locked out. And so I always look at it like I can't go too far, but I can go this far. And so I'll tell Kendrick and he'll throttle sometimes. And like I told you, I can only go this far. It's never that nice. Um, but like, this is all I can feel today. And like, that's just where I am. And we're both comfortable with the fact that we're inching towards something that's bigger and his patience with my emotions and my patience with his emotions sometimes flares up in really big fights, but it always comes back to we're far more intimate and knowledgeable of each other than we were when we were pretending everything was fine. Mm -hmm. And so for us, it's a, what do you want to fight about? If you love these people, if they're your community, if they're really your people, wouldn't you rather fight about what you're actually feeling than wait until it explodes and it's way messier and caught a lot of nonsense on the way out? And so it's messy. It's not fun. Um, our 10-man coach always, my 10-man coach always told me, this is not how to build a church. It's <laughs> not a good planting method because people don't want to do it. But when they do, when they do, there's so much rich soil for gospel, like, harvest but also like just seeing people know jesus because it's deep it's felt it's understood it is so fluent in what we're doing that we can't deny opportunities to share that with other people i always love when we get to hear from anyone in the banks family <laughs> yeah it's just it's wonderful uh i have a thousand more questions but i think they're for a texas trip I think they're for 2024 uh, oh, yeah. Texas trip. I want to come see the island and sit it's there. Big. and <laughs> The island. I want to come sit at the island. Uh, oh, oh my gosh. For some reason, I would thought you were calling Texas an island. I was like, it is low-key its own place. You're talking about the island inside their home. No, the Got Texas it. The dude country. compulsively cleans. The, the, country, the country of Texas. Yeah. It's own country. Yeah, the country of Texas. We'll find you a ranger. Oh and I'll, my god. Yes, I want to come find a ranger. Uh goodness gracious, there's no bow to tie. Uh and if you're <laughs> looking for the bow to tie on that, just like go back and listen to the last five minutes. Yeah, for real. Mm -hmm. 
Um, listen, if you, like James and I, uh, want to hear more from Amelia, all of her info is going to be linked in the description on this episode. So wherever you hit play on this, just go in the description and we will link up Amelia's info, um, where you can find her, um, all of that stuff. And, uh, and listen, just Amelia, thank you. Thank you for being with us. No doubt you're going to be on here again. Oh yeah. Absolutely. There's probably a part two to this coming. Yeah. And may, maybe with Kendrick. I don't know. Maybe not. Yeah. I, like, who knows? We, uh, yeah. I'm so, I'm so glad that you carved out this time to be with us today. This was so rich. Yeah, thank you so much. All right, y'all. We'll be back. I won't, I'm going to tell you in two weeks, hopefully. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but sorry, you don't know us. There. So who knows? Um, all right. We'll be back sometime. <laughs> Bless up. Bless up. <laughs>